You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. So tonight I want to, I want to look at a, a bit of a different way at looking at Scripture. Uh, I want to have a bit of dive in. Rather than looking at a particular passage and then drawing out some thoughts, I want to have a look at a particular character uh, throughout Scripture uh, in the Old Testament because uh, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we read about people and the, the gravity of what's happening to them and around them isn't necessarily understood. If we put ourselves in that position, I, I think that it would just open up a whole new understanding and appreciation for what the, the characters in the Bible had to go through. Like sometimes it can just seem so far off, so distant, and, and what we don't understand sometimes is that they didn't know that they were going to be in the Bible. They were just kind of going about their business, doing their thing, and hindsight now tells us that they were in the Bible. So Noah wasn't building the ark, and people came up to him and said, you know, why are you building the ark? He said, don't worry, I'm going to be in the Bible. Or, or Moses' Moses' wife wasn't, like, when, when all the ladies would gather for tea at Moses' wife's house, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say, what, what, what's your husband doing? And, oh, you wouldn't understand. He's going to be in the Bible, you know. Like, that, that didn't exist. It didn't happen. Um, so when we look at a character, sometimes the reactions and, and what happens can be lost on us because it's just passages. And, uh, and so... I want to have a, a look tonight, but I, I want us to almost put ourselves in these scenarios because I think when you put yourself in that scenario and not some guy that died in 1987 or however long ago um, these characters passed away, I think when you actually put yourself in, because these are real people, real dreams, real desires, real hungers, real thirsts, and and. They, we get to read about them in hindsight, but in the middle of it, could you imagine being in the middle of Moses' story? Could you imagine being in the middle of David's story when it's kind of being written? We have the ability to have a bird's eye view of it, but he didn't. He was in it. He had to live it. And so I want to have a look tonight at a, at a bloke in the Bible, and uh, I want to have a look at three times in his recorded life where something happens to him, and then something else happens. And uh, it's, it's a guy by the name of Elijah. And uh, Elijah is one of the heroes of faith. He's called one of the great prophets of, of Israel. And, uh, and, and there's a couple of times in Elijah's life where something incredible happens. But then there's some times in Elijah's life where some not-so-incredible things happen. And so we're going to dive in tonight and have a look at Elijah. I'm going to look at three stories, and they're not necessarily going to be in sequential order, but they will bear out what it would have been like to be able to go from a mountaintop moment to a trough in your life. The first passage that I want to look at tonight is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, and it's a bit of text here. We'll read from verse 1 to 7. It said, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain in the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat from what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. It's pretty cool when ravens bring you food. Anybody had ravens bring you food? Anybody had Uber bring you food? Imagine that Uber was like ravens, 2,000 
7,000 years ago, however long it was. Uh, so ravens are bringing Elijah food. That's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty amazing. And then it says in verse 5, it says, So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kereth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. And here it is. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So Elijah's had this mountaintop moment where ravens are bringing him food. He's got natural spring water. And then the Bible just records, but after a while, the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And like I said, he didn't know that this was going to be written about. He was just living in the moment at that point. Next story. It actually follows straight on from this one in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So ravens, now a widow. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And the only cooking oil I have in the bottom of the jug, I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, then my son and I will die. So God gives Elijah this command, go and, and a widow will feed you. Ravens have fed you. Now I'm going to send you to another place and this widow is going to feed you. And then the response of the widow is, sorry, I'm going to cook this meal and then me and my son are going to die. Mountaintop moment, then it looks like all has been lost. And then the last story, and I want to give you a bit of a background. Now, Probably the most significant thing that happens in Elijah's life is what's called the showdown on Mount Carmel, where Elijah says, hey, we're going to have the ultimate proof of whose God is God. And so he says, get all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. And what, what we're going to do is we're going to stick two bulls on altars. And the one that burns up, that's the one that the real, that, that's who the real God serves. And so he gets all of these prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah, puts the, the bull on the, on the altar, and no matter how hard they try, no matter how much they scream, no matter how much they hoot, no matter how much they holler, nothing happens. And then Elijah, pretty much just in a blink of an eye, brings fire from heaven. The bull is burned up to a crisp, and then he pretty much gathers them all and then slaughters them. We pick up the story in verse... Uh, 38, chapter 18, verse 38 to 40, and then we'll kind of read the next couple of verses of the next chapter. It said, Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to Kishon Valley and killed them there. Pretty amazing stuff. And then the, and then the next Next two verses of the next chapter in 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2, it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, Elijah Eliza's brother. Um, sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you 
just as you have killed them. Elijah had some pretty up and down moments, some pretty amazing mountaintop moments, literally on the top of a mountain, but then some pretty low points. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that we are able to go back and be able to to learn and to be able to understand the lessons that you would have us learn. Lord, we pray that these wouldn't be stories, they wouldn't just be words, but Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would penetrate the hearts and the flesh that, that, that would remove us from, from learning these lessons and understanding your truths. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, bypass our brains and speak into our hearts. Give us an understanding and a revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message tonight is Peaks and Troughs. Peaks and troughs. Elijah had many peaks, but he also had some troughs. Now, I don't know if you're a medical practitioner in the room tonight, but you know that 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 graphic or whatever you want to call it is like a heart monitor. And as long as there's peaks and as long as there's troughs, it's good. As long as there's peaks and troughs, it's okay. It means that you're in the clear. But as soon as it starts going like this, that's when you're not in the clear. And, and, and our life is a series of peaks and it's a series of troughs. And, and, and I don't know where you kind of find yourself on that scale, but I want you to know that if you're on one of those scales, it's okay. It means that you're alive. When it's just kind of like this, and I'm not necessarily talking in terms of physically, but emotionally, spiritually, when it's going like this, it means that, hey, that, that you probably need to jump yourself back into life. Life is about peaks and it's about troughs. And, 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 if we're, and we need to be aware and understand that God operates in both. He operates in the peaks, but he also operates in the troughs. And sometimes it's all well and good to, to stand on a mountaintop and be able to, to talk about the good things. And, and, and you know, we, we hear testimonies all the time. It's a mountaintop moment. But sometimes it's not as easy to speak about God in the same manner in the troughs. But it's the same God in the peak, and it's the same God in the troughs. You know, see, wherever, if, if you're not flatlining here, you're in good company. It means that God is still using you. It means that God is still teaching you. He's still forming you. He's still molding you into the person that you're going to be so that you can fulfill the destiny and the calling that God's put on your life. And it doesn't happen by flatlining. It happens through peaks and it happens through troughs. See, we, we, we get this glimpse of Elijah's life where he's got this mountaintop moment where the birds of the air are feeding him, but then straight away, almost instantly, and as it's recorded, the brook dries up. And, and, and rather than complaining, rather than whinging, rather than saying, hey, look, I was happy with this situation. I was happy just to kind of go through the motions. God brings him to a trough because he, he, he wants to be able to mold him. He wants to be able to teach him so that he can better fulfill the purposes of God. And the truth is, he may never have had a Mount Carmel experience if he didn't go through the trough of when the brook dried up. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but I, I'm here to tell you that, you know, after troughs come peaks. After troughs come peaks. And, and that, that bears out in the life of Elijah. See, I think that we can gain insight into how Elijah managed the troughs 
to apply it to our lives that when we find ourselves in a trough, rather than saying, hey, I just wanted to go back where it was steady, where it was easy, where it was just kind of cruising along. I think that if we can understand the lessons of Elijah, and I understand that when you're in a trough, it's really hard because there's emotion, there's strife, there's trouble. But if you can, if you can just for a moment, just pause that and allow God to speak into that in a moment of sobriety in terms of your emotions, in terms of your spirit, then I, I actually I believe that God can then bring the lesson that happens in the trough and bring about a peak even greater than any peak that you've seen up until this point. You see, how Elijah navigated the troughs actually determined the height of the peaks. You see, he could have gone, well, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't I'm just happy being fed by ravens. I, I'm not, not really interested in the widow. Sounds cool, but I'm, I'm cool with the ravens, God. Thank you very much. I'll just take them. But, 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 and, and then in the widow, he could have gone, well, I'm just going to stay here. It seems, I'll, I'll explain the story. The widow, he says to the widow, go and make me bread and you'll never have oil or flour that will run out. And he could have stayed there. He could have stayed in that moment of security, in that moment of peace, in that moment of continuousness if that is a word, but he didn't because he knew that the troughs need to happen so that the peaks could happen. There's three key things that I believe Elijah learned in the troughs of his life that set him on a trajectory of influence and power and demonstrations of the miraculous nature of God. And so I want to dive into these three. I don't want to hold you for too long tonight because the truth of the matter is that everybody will go through troughs. Everybody will go through troughs. If you're not going through a trough now, I don't want to be the prophet of doom, but, but there will be a time when you will go through a trough. And, uh, and I don't say that to cause fear, but I actually say it to cause preparation. If you can prepare your heart to see a trough as an opportunity or a land or, or a takeoff point for peaks, then, then no trough will ever hold you up. No trough will ever make you stumble. And so I reckon if we ask these three questions in the troughs, if we ask these three questions in the discouragement, if we ask these three questions in the disappointment, then we will be able, and I'm not saying it's going to take away the pain, I'm not saying it's going to mitigate what's been happening, but I, I do think that it, it, it creates a, a more malleable nature that God can work with so that he can move you forward into the plan and the purpose that he has. The first one is, uh, uh, and it's a, it's a question that isn't expressly stated. But uh, the first question that I believe that Elijah asked was, where am I being taken? Where am I being taken? And, and when we find ourselves in a trough, when we find ourselves in a, in a struggle, in a a disappointment in a time of discouragement, I think that the first question that we need to ask is, where am I headed? Where am I going here? What, there, there has to be something deeper here. I need to be able to understand and see where I'm going. When I was first married, uh, me and my wife went on a honeymoon to New Zealand. And um, I don't... I wasn't necessarily an adventure person, but I just kind of found myself booking all of these adventure things. And... Um, uh, and maybe it was to impress my new bride. The story that I show that that I tell in a minute will kind of write that one completely off. 
But um, so I booked all these adventure things, whitewater rafting, uh, there's a canyon swing, uh, swimming with dolphins, that wasn't really uh, dangerous, but when you kind of see the animals that you might see out there, it's like orca, it became fairly dangerous. And, um, and so, but, but I booked a bungee jump in New Zealand. And um, it was at that stage, it was the third highest bungee in the world, uh, a bungee jump called the Nevis. And, uh, and I thought, nah, I'm all good. The kind of pre-wedding bravado probably got, uh, got a hold of me. And I thought, nah, I'll, I'll be able to do it. It'll, it'll all be fine. Until the night before, I had to go on bungee. And uh, I'll, I won't be graphic, but I'll, I'll say it pretty simply. So I had to get up every hour, pretty much from about 7 o'clock the night before till about 6 o'clock the morning after, to just cleanse myself of fear. Let me just put that out there. And so by the time I got, like by the time we were being picked up, I was about 37 kilos. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty much they, they wouldn't have to attach anything. They could have put a string on me and just dropped me down. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, so I kind of plucked up enough courage to go out and, uh, and be picked up by this bus and me and Amy are in the bus and we're driving around this mountain and um, it was the most petrifying thing ever because they would take you close enough to the side of the cliff so that you could see how high you were going and so every now and then you'd kind of look over and, and the house that looked like a house now looked like a Lego piece as you're kind of going round and round this mountain. And, uh, and, and so anyway, it's, I'm like, oh, we've got to be, we've got to be stopping soon. He goes, oh, we're almost halfway. And I'm like, oh, good gracious. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of nervously tap my knee, but kind of by this point I'm doing this, you know, <laughs> and I'm just, you know, moving in my seat. There was nothing of me at this point. Um, and, uh, and so well, we're, we're going around this mountain and, and we're looking at, and, and I had this, this moment, this, this moment of clarity and this moment of, uh, of, I guess, understanding of what was going on. The reason that they take you around the, the cliff is so that you knew just how, that you could monitor how fast or how far you were going for the optimal experience so that when you kind of got to the top, you would have the most optimal experience. And the thing was, and this isn't necessarily a trough, but the thing was, what it made me do was it made me trust the driver. Because I thought to myself, he wouldn't be taking us here if he didn't know how to get there or the reason that we're going this way. I thought to myself, there's got to be an easier way. But I trusted that the driver knew exactly where we needed to go, where I needed to be taken. The driver knew. And even though it seemed like it was dangerous it, like, and dangerous without reason, the driver knew where he was going. And, uh, and I'm not saying that God will bring trouble your way, but sometimes he will let you look out the window so that you can see, oh my goodness, there's something there. But he's, he's driving you in such a way that you're going to get to the point of the most optimal experience and you're going to get to the point of the most optical, uh, optimal learning. And, uh, and so as part of that lesson, where am I headed? As part of that lesson is, do you trust the driver? 
Do you trust the driver that he knows the best way to take you to the point where you are going to be the most influential, the most powerful, the most called, the most prepared for when the call of God comes about in your life? Do you trust the driver? Where is he taking me? You might not know the the destination, but do you trust the driver? Do you trust that God knows where you need to go and God has enough grace to be with you on that journey. See, what lessons are you learning when you're on this, on this path? I, I realized that I had a terrible fear of heights on the journey around the mountain. I, I realized that pretty quickly. But, but, and, and I was learning lessons of, hey, maybe I, uh, I overstepped um, my kind of courage meter uh, on this one. And, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you how the story ended. This has like got nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, just lean in. Uh, so um, we get to the top. He kind of, I kind of get all rigged up, and uh, first guy, he's like this Norwegian daredevil that's like base jumped off all these places. And I'm like, good on you, buddy. Um, and and then anyway, I kind of they they all rig me up, and you kind of you got to waddle to the edge like this. And I said to the guy, look, this is my first time doing this. Just go easy on me, and. Uh, he goes, okay, and then like I'm just kind of there, just, and then he said, okay, mate, we don't have all day. We've got other customers, <laughs> and so you're supposed to dive off and like kind of be really macho. I, I, like I just went weak at the knees and fell off, um, so I didn't bungee jump. I bungee fell, um, but that has nothing to do with anything, but it's a good story. Uh, where am I being taken? Do you trust the driver? You see, God took Elijah to the place where he would be fed by the ravens. He took him to the place where the brook would sustain him. And, uh, and, and you know, and, 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 and Elijah could have gone, why are you taking me here? Why are you taking me here? I don't understand it. But he trusted the driver and he trusted that God was going to take him to the most optimum place where he could be used by God. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the next, the, I'll dwell on this point for a, a little bit more. Um, but, you know, it can be hard to look above your circumstances when you're going through something terrible, when you're going through something horrendous. And I'm not saying that, that this is going to solve all your issues. But, but in, your, in your moment of quiet, in your moment of, of rest, Know that the driver is going to take you further than you could possibly imagine. And, uh, and even though it might look like you're going around the edge of a cliff, he's going to take you to a point where you're going to have the most incredible experience of your life. And, uh, and, and if, to, to get to the top of that mountain, I had to go around it. To get to the top of that place, I had to go around it. And, uh, and sometimes to get to a place like that, we've got to go around it. And, it's got to, and sometimes it's scary. It's not easy. The second thing that I think that Elijah learnt or Elijah asked was, we need to understand, we need to ask ourselves the question, what do I know from the peaks? What, what, what do I know about God from the peak? And Elijah had many peaks. That These three aren't the only ones. They're not an exhaustive list. But, uh, you know, he, he had the peak where the ravens fed him. That's a peak. I don't think there's been any birds feed me. Um, usually they take food from me. 
and, uh, and, and to go to a natural stream. That's a peak. And, uh, and, and you learn the lessons on the peak, but you understand them in the trough. And, uh, and, and sometimes we, we learn lessons in the trough and then apply them to the peak, but it's not supposed to work that way. We're supposed to learn the lessons and, and understand who God is on the peaks. We're supposed to understand His goodness on the peaks. We're supposed to understand His glory on the peaks so that we understand it and can apply it when we're in the troughs. Same God, same God in the peaks, same God in the troughs. And sometimes we treat him like two different gods. Like, oh, this is the God of the peak and this is the God of the trough. No, 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 same God. Same God. And, uh, and, and, and you know, you need to be able to declare the same things on the peaks that you do in the troughs. And the speech needs to be the same in the peaks as it does in the troughs. And, and, and you know, you'll find yourself on a mountain and, and the power of God will just come down and, and burn up something that's so incredible because you've, got to under, because you've learnt the lessons in the peaks. You see, I know that my God is good. I know that He loves me. I know that He has a plan that, that nothing can come against that. I know that because I've seen it on the peaks. Peaks. And, and, and we need to be learning and, and, and making conscious effort to be able to write down, to be able to declare the things that God is teaching us on the peaks so that when the troughs come, we know who God is. We know who our God is. And, and I see it all the time. Unfortunately, we can preach a God who's going to always be on the mountain, always be on the mountain. The mountain isn't to be, we can't have a mountain consistent like this. The mountain is to see the next mountain, but it's also to see the path to it. You see, you look down into the path, you see the valley up to the next mountain. And, how, and what does that look like in real life? It's about the lessons on the peaks. We speak in the troughs. And, uh, you know, Elijah navigated through his troughs in the same way with the understanding that he was the, the God of the peaks. You know, when, when the Israelites used to quote who God was, he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're the three founding fathers of the faith. You know, they're the peak of the faith. They would declare that whenever they were in a trough. And, uh, and, and we need to be able to be the same. We need to be de- able to declare that Jesus Christ is the same on the peaks. He's the same just in the mundane, and he's the same in the troughs. And, and, and when you combine that with where I'm being taken, it forms a synergy there because I trust the driver, and I know who he is because he's the same driver that had me on the peak. He's the same driver that's now driving me through this valley. And then the last one, you know, where am I, where, sorry, there we go, there we go, sorry, the last, the last thing is we need to know who our Redeemer is, the last question is, who is my Redeemer, Elijah answered that question, he knew who his Redeemer was, you see, back in biblical times, and in Hebrew circles especially, the idea of a redeemer was very much known amongst uh, all, all of the people. A redeemer was somebody who would buy back and avenge. And, and, and when you recognize that the person that buys back and avenges is the Lord Almighty, it releases an incredible power into your life. You see, there was... There was a case in Ruth where it was, he was called the kinsman redeemer, and it was the person that came and bought back the inheritance and bought back uh, the, the woman so that he could be his bride. It was, it's the whole idea of redeemer that kind of sums all of this up. And Elijah learnt this lesson twice 
but forgot it the third time. He forgot the lesson the third time. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, it says this. This is straight after uh, Jezebel has said, if uh, by tomorrow I'm going to make sure that you're dead. By tomorrow I'm going to make sure that I'm going to kill you. And then this is Elijah's response. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He forgot who his Redeemer was. He, for, he started believing the conversations that were being had to him from men and women, and he forgot who his Redeemer was. He forgot that his Redeemer was the one who fed him in the, next to the brook. He forgot that his Redeemer was the one that uh, brought, the, brought food to the widow. He forgot that his Redeemer was the one that burnt the bull on that mountain. And, uh, you know, Elijah found himself in possibly one of the greatest displays of God's power in the Old Testament on Mount Carmel. And, uh, but then started to doubt God, started to doubt that, that God actually had the power to, to, to bring about a solution or to bring about a, a conclusion to his story that would be honoring to him and also to God. And, uh, and I, I remember I was talking to uh, a guy that, that's spoken in this church. His name's Mike Pilavachi. He, he's, uh, he runs one of the biggest conferences in the UK called Soul, Soul Survivor UK. And uh, they see over 40,000 young people attend their conference over four weeks. And, um, and, and you know, he, he was telling me that uh, he, he is a single man was engaged once, but, but it didn't work out with, with his fiancée at the time. And so he just said to God, look, I'm going to be yours, and I'm going to devote myself to you. And he said, uh, and, and I remember him kind of talking about the good things that God's done and, and, and who, who God is to him and, and just the miracles that he's seen. And, and he said, there are times in my weakness where I think to myself, geez, it would have been nice to share it with somebody. Geez, it would have been nice to have somebody with me. But he said, and then I realize that he is my redeemer. And, and he is the one that fights for me. And he is the one that, uh, he, he is the one that's going to, to buy me back. And he said, I'm, he goes, I understand that God is no man's debtor. God doesn't owe me a debt at all, but he still is my redeemer and he still loves me. And what I love about Mike Pilavachi is that he, uh, I guess, qualifies all of them. He, he understands that God is taking him in a direction, that he, he knows that God is going to be using him for mighty works and he knows that the God of the peaks is the same as the God of the troughs. And, uh, and, and he knows that he is still loved despite the fact that his life doesn't necessarily look like success in the world. And so, you know, he says, he says, he made this statement and I'll never forget. He says, God is no man's debtor, but he will still love you more than anybody. God is no man's debtor, but he'll still love you more than anybody. You see, I'm glad that I've got a redeemer like that. I'm glad that I've got a redeemer that, that it doesn't, that even though my life might not necessarily look like it, I wanted it to when I was five, I understand that God loves me more than anybody else could love me and that he, and, and you know, he can choose 
to bless me. He can choose to do whatever, but I know that he loves me more than anything. And when you understand those two things, that God is no man's debtor, but he can still love you more than anything, I believe it's probably one of the most liberating thoughts that you can find. Those three lessons, where am I being taken? Do you trust the driver? If I could ask the singers and musicians just to join me, where am I being taken? It's a tough question to ask when you're in the trough, but when you ask it, you actually release a a lifetime of learning, and you put yourself in the hands of the Father. And then the second one is, what can I learn from the peaks? Let's be people that learn lessons in the peaks and apply them in the troughs. Let's not be people that just want to stay on the peak forever, but want to go down so that we can learn the lessons, so that we can go to greater levels, so that we can go to greater things in God. And then the last thing is, who is your Redeemer? Who's your redeemer? And uh, if I could just grab every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus is the great redeemer. He is the ultimate redeemer. Uh, You know, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He died so that we may have everlasting love. And even though we don't deserve it, he still gives that to us. Um, and, uh, And, you know, God did that. He chose to die so that we could have relationship with him. And, uh, you know, maybe you've never understood or acknowledged God in the peaks. Maybe you've never taken the time to go, oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord, that, that I can go through this experience, that I can acknowledge you. Maybe you've never thought of him in the peaks. Or, but the beauty of God is that he sent Holy Spirit to be with us in the troughs. He said, you don't, you're not going to do the troughs alone. You're not going to do them by yourself. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send somebody that's going to bring you into and remind you of who you are with me. Thank you for listening to this podcast.